Time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. All right, let's break down some of this data. I thought this was really interesting. So this is uh, preliminary data from the prosecution service. Yeah, so way back in November, like four days after David Eby became premier, the prosecution service directed prosecutors in the province to be more aggressive in seeking detention, resisting bail, for repeat violent offenders. So that went out November 22. And they've been compiling data ever since. Uh, now it's selective. It's not every day. They looked at seven weeks in particular. They looked at two weeks before the thing went in and five weeks after to try to give us a picture. And it's preliminary. Having said all that, Simi, it tells several stories. Uh, some of them reinforce the government's political message and some of them don't. So your prosecution service is independent, and it tried to put the numbers out so that we can see it. So the, the first thing it tells us is that the directive to prosecutors didn't change much about how the courts deal with the question of bail. Prosecutors went into court. On some occasions, they argued that, you know, this is a repeat violent offender. Uh, there's outstanding warrants. Uh, there's violence here. And we think they should be detained, and they succeeded less than half the time. The judges said, nope. Uh, did, uh, they released them on bail, sometimes with conditions, sometimes without. We don't have all the detail, but basically the courts didn't listen. And that does fit the government's political message. So in that sense, this does reinforce what the government's been saying, which is the problem is not with the prosecution service, the problem fundamentally is with the changes in the criminal code that shifted the onus to release away from detention. Okay, so I guess what I was wondering about this too is, 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 is do we ask enough questions then about that part of our system, about what the judges are doing? Because I, I feel like when we get there, people get uncomfortable with that because we're not supposed to question our judges. You're not supposed to question our judges. And look, the prosecution services statement on this is, it isn't entirely on the government side. They, the, one of the things they say is, um, it was unrealistic to expect that a change in direction to the prosecution service was going to have a big impact because judges don't have to listen to the prosecution service and the directive to the prosecution service doesn't change how judges think. Judges are guided by the criminal code and the criminal code provisions on bail were amended back in 2019 to say when in doubt release. I mean, that's a, a crude summary, but basically it shifted the don't detain release was the thing. And so the judges are sitting there and going essentially to the prosecutor, yeah, yeah, I hear you, right? Yeah, we hear you, right? But we're guided by the criminal code, and the federal government made it very clear when it changed the criminal code that it wants release, and the federal government was itself guided by ruling of the Supreme Court of Canada. So that's what you're up against with this. And the one thing I would say from that statement from the prosecution service, that it was unrealistic to think this was going to work, is that's a bit of a swipe at the EB government, because David Eby put great stock in this change of directive to the prosecutors, 
And that may have been more a case of him playing politics and trying to show British Columbians that he was doing something, when fundamentally the problem isn't with the directives to prosecutors. It's with the courts and the criminal code. Over to you, Ottawa. What did the Attorney General have to say about this? Well, she sort of said, yeah, well, we've been thinking this all along. You know, she said, yeah, yeah, you know, we've known this and we've been telling Ottawa to change it. And she's said that, look, the uh, the change, Ottawa's promised the change, which they did, right? David Lametti, the justice minister, met with the premiers way back in March. And he said, I hear you because all the provinces are asking for this onus to be shifted back. The, the message is they, what they ask for is, no, you've got to make it so that where a repeat violent offender is going into court. The onus is on him, and Simi, you know, they're mostly hymns. The onus is on him to persuade the court that his relief, through his lawyer, would be safe. In other words, he has to prove to the court that he's entitled to bail and that he should get it, not um, that it's up to the prosecutor to make the case that he, that he shouldn't. So that's the idea. Lamenti I have to say, Simi, I've gone back over what David Lamenti's been saying on this issue all year. He pays lip service to the idea, but I have my doubts that the federal government is actually going to do what the province hopes and thinks it's going to do. Lamenti has said, I hear you. He said, yes, we're going to bring in changes to the criminal code um, this spring on the bail provisions. Yes, he says he hopes to get it through before Parliament adjourns on June 23. So that's the talking points. But you've got to look at some of the other things he says. He says, first of all, the 2019 changes did not fundamentally change the situation around bail. Oh, really? Have you told the yeah. judges, right? Well, second of all, he said um, the changes in 2019 were done to incorporate court decisions and the right to bail under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The third thing he said, this is really important here in BC, he said this was done to reduce the number of Indigenous people that are incarcerated in Canada. Well, you look at the numbers from the prosecution service here in BC, Simi, one number jumps out. 20% of the cases they looked at, 20% of the bail hearings, the accused self-identified as Indigenous. Well, there's the dilemma. Indigenous people are about 6% of the BC population, so it's three or four times the rate. So what do you do? Like, what does the system actually do when it's confronted with this dilemma? You've got a repeat violent offender, and your objective is to make sure the person is locked up for reasons of public safety, but they're Indigenous. You know, we don't have the breakdown of the stats on that, but... I am assuming those cases come up in court because the evidence suggests they do. We don't know. And I don't think the system knows what to do where you have a clash of objectives as you would in that case. So that obviously they thought, okay, we need to fix this. So we're going to listen more. But then if there's, how do you fix if, it? yeah, exactly. How do you, where's, where are the other aspects of yeah. this? Not just yeah. the part in court. What about the helping them to not be a repeat yeah. offender? You know, you can say, well, we've got to deal with the root causes. Well, the root causes for indigenous people are 
I mean, I'm not. It's not funny, but the root causes for indigenous people go back to the European conquest, right? They go back to colonialism. They've been there for decades. So how do you fix that? Here's another one, and this jumps out from the data too. So they they give us the breakdown of the cases involving violence. So more than half the cases there was violence involved. That's why they were the prosecutors were going into court and saying, you know, at most release with severe conditions or detain. One in four cases involved violence against intimate partners, which is, I find, an alarmingly high number. I would have thought that maybe we've moved beyond some of that. One in four cases. Well, call me naive, Simi, but I can't imagine any circumstances in which it would be safe to release someone accused of violence against their intimate partner because you go, well, are they going to do it again? Are they going to try well, to persuade? Yeah. Are they going to try to persuade? I mean, we know the stories, right? Are you going to try to persuade your partner to not testify against you and intimidate them? Like I, it's one another one of those cases where I go, all the messaging we've had over the years is you try to keep women safe and zero tolerance for violence against intimate partners. So if that's your objectives, when would you ever grant bail in a case like that? Well, they say circumstances alter cases, and we don't know the details. But again, I look at that and I go, Simi, we're we're into an era of clash of rights here. We're not into a clear-cut situation. And I don't know if, first of all, the federal government will change the criminal code sufficiently to address this concern. And I don't know how we'll do it, even if they do. That is very true. Um, before I let you go, Vaughn, any update on the timeline for uh, the Surrey policing announcement? Uh, we're now hearing Thursday or Friday. And uh, I have to say that after I uh, told you yesterday that I think the provincial government's decision is going to be that they turn down Surrey's plan a second time to go back to the RCMP, I've heard from people who say, no, 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 uh, they think what the uh, Mike Farmworth is going to announce on Thursday or Friday, Simi, is he's uh, going to hand it back to Brenda Locke and Surrey Council and say, fine, go ahead and take the political heat for it. Uh, I'm not going to interfere. So it's still an open question. Wow. This is one of the most fascinating political issues that uh, has come along in a long time because the province doesn't even want to be there. And Surrey is bitterly divided, and the issue has gone on for too long. So edge of your seat stuff. It really Wait is. See what happens. I know. I guess they could put conditions on it too, right? But anyway, we'll see what happens. Vaughn, yeah. lots for us to talk about. Thank yeah. you. Okay, Simi. Bye-bye.